Welcome to Sustainable Futures, the sustainability podcast from Kantar, the world's leading marketing data and analytics company. In each episode, we speak with senior experts from a wide range of disciplines to bring broad understanding to complex topic areas and shine a light on the most pressing sustainability issues facing business and marketing, all designed to help marketers create sustainable futures for brands and business. So hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of Kantar's Sustainable Futures podcast. My name is Jonathan Hall, and I'm managing partner of Kantar's Sustainable Transformation Practice. Kantar is a world-leading data analytics and consulting business, and the Sustainable Transformation Practice works at the intersection of brands, people, and sustainability. Now, I'm delighted to have with me today Ryan McSorley, co-founder at sustainable home care brand Neat. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you. Nice to be here. Great to have you here. It's a real, uh, it's a real privilege for us. So, so thank you for joining. Ryan, could we just start by you, you know, telling us a bit about yourself and um, a bit about Neat? That would be that would be great. Sure thing. Um, as you said, I am one of the co-founders of Neat, a sustainable home care brand, and also I think technically now personal care brand, having launched our hand wash. So that's that's new for us. I'll tell you more about that later. But um, yeah, so currently um, founder there. Uh, my background is industrial design. So I studied at Central St. Martin's, did a degree in product design, and then went off to Asia for six years where I worked in product development for a bunch of um, companies. In the end, was working on developing drinkware for Starbucks for Asia Pacific. So everything you kind of see when you walk in, you can buy those um, reusable cups and stainless steel thermoses, ceramic cups, glass cups, whatever they have in there. I was developing that for Starbucks in Asia, which was awesome. And then moved back to London in 2015 to work with uh, Method and eCover, where I was their uh, packaging design lead in Europe, and then also working on long-term innovation for those two brands. So looking at kind of three to five year states of the category, even 10 year out, and then kind of suggesting what could be innovation that's coming down the pipeline. That was an amazing opportunity, learned loads there. It was my first kind of step into the world of FMCG. Didn't even know what that meant when I got there, um, but safe to say I've, I've figured it out in the meantime. Um, so yeah, that was an amazing experience. I was there for three and a half years, um, learned lots. It was a challenging, but, um, really exciting and fun opportunity. Um, and it was off the back of that then that I that I started um, Neat. Got some insight there into some problems that I could solve and brought that to, to Neat. Great, that, that's super interesting, Rand. A perfect segue, I wanted to jump in and ask you, obviously <laughs> your, your background in industrial design, you're working right in the guts of, of um, some major brands there who are pioneering you out in, in Asia. What, what, so what, what did you observe and what was the genesis of the idea of, of, of NEAT? I guess the, the, the key observation from working in the cleaning category was that most um, cleaning products are in fact 90% water, especially when it comes to the likes of multi-surface cleaners and other kind of household cleaners. Most of them, maybe not washing up liquid, but there's a lot of actives in it. It's quite concentrated already and even laundry detergent similarly. But in, in surface care, it's mostly about 90% water. So I guess it was this um, insight that got me thinking about how we could how we could re-engineer that, redesign that, if we were to remove the unnecessary water that we're now shipping around the planet, um, which is obviously 
bulky, heavy, and requires carbon to do so. If we remove that, um, and that, that that water is now shipped in single-use plastic, which is problematic, um, especially when it comes to the how, how plastic-heavy some of that packaging is, the thought was if we were to step back and rethink that system, how could we do it? Now, we, we spent a fair bit of time um, especially at eCover, looking at refill solutions and the idea of refill, I think that word now has taken on several meanings. You see it used for all sorts of things <laughs> from, um, you know, people are calling a refill something that is essentially a single-use aluminium bottle that you pop a pump back on. I'm like, that's a replace, not a refill, in my opinion. Um, but it, a true refill system, we're using the same thing and you're just going back and putting whatever, whatever it held back into it. Um, it was really difficult to make those systems work in a mass retail environment. I mean, th- those those environments are designed to be fast moving. They have to be very efficient. And people coming into shop, the behavior is also kind of um, ingrained in people. You're picking something off the she- shelf, you're popping it in your basket and off you go. So something which is which is requiring a customer to bring something back in that environment wait for it to fill, even when it comes to like a, like a laundry bottle or a, or a cleaning product, um, it's really difficult to make that work in that environment. And I think to date, everybody's trying and has tried many ways. Lots of concepts have gone out. Trials have been done. Um, always get great press, in my experience. Um, they tend not to scale out beyond that, which is, which is um, quite, quite sad in a way, because you think, oh, well, if that, if that could, could work, then that would be amazing. However, I think it's you're trying to fit um, a square peg in a bit of a round hole in that situation. So with Neat, we really thought, how can we bring a solution? And we really, our, our background, myself and, and my co-founder, Josie, who also worked at eCover Method, she was in the commercial side of the business. Um, she's, she's the brains, really. Um, so so we, we kind of thought, look, we've got experience in, in mass retail, in fast-moving consumer goods. Why don't we try and bring a solution that would work in that context? Um, and that's that's how we got to the solution of NEAT, where you have a reusable aluminium spray bottle, and then we have 30 ml concentrates in, in little glass bottles, so they're plastic-free, widely recyclable, and you mix those with tap water to make your 500 ml cleaning product. Um, and again, we were looking a lot at, you know, making this as accessible as possible. Our focus really was, if we want to solve these problems, in a significant way, a meaningful way, we have to go where the majority of the problem sits. And for us, that was really clearly in, in mass retail, which is where most people currently buy their, their cleaning products or their, their um, hand wash and that kind of thing. So yeah, that's that's kind of um, where it was birthed from. And, and we had some pretty clear ideas in terms of the problems we wanted to solve for and the, the challenges we'd have to overcome in order to make it to make it work in in the context of of the the retail environment that we were building it for. Yeah, I'm right. Obviously, you know, one of the things that I'm sure people who are listening are thinking, well, it, you know, how do you break the the grip of the um, you know the major brands? Because that's got to be a quite a daunting thing if you're a startup business and you're faced by some of the you know the largest. Um, consumer goods businesses in the world and their relationships with distributors and, and retailers. So, so how did you start to go about that? I, I think the, the beauty of being a, a small startup challenger brand is that you can, 
you can come in and, and do things that maybe established or existing businesses are going to struggle to do. Even working at, you know, um, established brands in the category previously and suggesting, thinking about these ideas in the past, um, it was quite clear to me that it's, it's going to be really hard to justify this kind of decision making in a business that's established. You have a lot of employees. You've got, you've got you know, targets to hit. The idea of, you know, taking what we do day to day and saying, you know what, let's let's throw that out the window and do something entirely different. Actually, almost something which is opposing to what we've been doing for for years um, is is super risky to a business that's established. It's challenging. There's a lot of complexity with it. Um, you're 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 looking at new supply chains. You're looking at a whole new way of of building, creating, selling, communicating a product. It's really I think it's really tough. For and there's definitely there's, there's bigger players you know in this space doing it, which I think is, is brilliant. If anything, they're they're educating the consumer with their massive marketing spend that we don't have. Um, but what we can do is maybe bring something that is more authentic because I think consumers these days are looking for authenticity in the brands that they 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 look to. And I think established brands they haven't they haven't been looking for you know step chain sustainable solutions from those companies. I think there's a role for small um, startup challenger brands to to break through and and bring those um, solutions um, and I think it, we have the ability to to do things faster we're not a big organization with lots of people and lots of layers yet um, hopefully uh, well hopefully we'll get there one day and be none that way um, but um, yeah we're able to do those things we're able to make decisions quicker and also we're starting from a, a blank slate right so that gives you the 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 ability to look at um, doing it entirely new, and that that especially when it comes to supply chain, I think that's probably been the most challenging piece for us was building a supply chain, which essentially now has a sm- slow moving consumer uh, good and a fast moving consumer good together. I didn't realize how complicated it would be, but that was probably the biggest challenge. And I can imagine, at a, as if you're a large company and you've got established um, supply chains. You could establish teams and ways of doing things, uh, working practices. It would be really hard to pivot that or or do it in a way that wouldn't be majorly disruptive to your existing business. Yeah. So so can you just talk to us a bit more about that, how you've driven success with with a major grocery retailers? You you started to talk about supply chain there and the sort of combination of slow and fast moving consumer good. It would be great if you could unpack that a bit and, and talk about, you know, physical environment as well yep um we've done a lot of learning it's safe to say um we decided to we we had a pretty clear idea in terms of what a buyer would be looking for when it comes to a proposition that would work in the context of waitrose tesco sainsbury's ocado um so so we definitely um built our product offering even our p l and our kind of go-to-market strategy around that um, if anything, we were probably delayed due to COVID because um, buyers were, in our category were really focused on just keeping toilet paper on the shelf. Could we launched April 2020, which was um, a challenging time to be launching anything. But yeah, I, th- I think having having thought about that context from the beginning, I think was probably our our biggest benefit. We we were thinking about conversations, questions that buyers would ask us as we were building um, the product and our first kind of like stock build. You know, even down to things like having barcodes and everything, 
having case counts. You know, you've got packs of six or packs of 12 that you know that is what they're going to ask for. Being able to to build a pallet, having a um, a warehousing partner that we knew could fulfill a Tesco, Waitrose, Sainsbury's order. Um, those are things that you need to build in. If you're, if you're looking purely at like D2C, which most startups would do these days, I think you don't necessarily think about those things initially. You'd have to try and rally to get it done. And they, they are significant challenges. And when you come to a retailer, I think they want to see that you have those those pieces in place. Otherwise, they're taking on a lot of risk for them and for you, giving you a listing, which you, you may or may not be able to support. Um, so yeah, I think luckily we had we had some experience in that space, um, and we we were able to to think ahead to what buyers would would be asking, and then also what consumers expect when it comes to that environment. And I think especially for us, really building something that is benchmarked against the competitive set in our category. I think online you can do a lot of communication. You've got ways to target specific audiences in a specific way, and you can definitely communicate your story, your your product, your brand, in a, in a way that you cannot in a mass retail environment where somebody's coming in to buy a certain thing, they've already come in with it in mind, and you're trying to get them to to to, to engage with, consider you. you you've got split seconds there. Um, so in, in that regard, we were always quite clear that the product would have to do a lot of the talking for us because we're not... An existing brand, we're new, and it's it's a new concept. So there's education to be done. Um, so we knew we we're gonna have to go. We're gonna have to go big on the old design piece and try and disrupt visually because that's what we've got at this point. Um, and to do something that would be um, disruptive on the shelf to get them at least just to stop in their tracks and go, oh, what is that? Um, and then hopefully engage, consider, and even trial uh, the product. So yeah, I think that was one. I think the challenge from a from a supply chain point of view was really, um, like I said, this this two piece. You know, we've got normally you've got such efficiency and scale when it comes to to mass um, retail. You can kind of imagine when you get to those hundred thousand units, million units, you can you can like you can plan for that. In our case, we have a piece that is the initial starter pack. We're asking people to invest in this thing they're going to keep um and i think that the trick that we've come to i think often when it comes to sustainability a lot of folks will think oh it's sustainable therefore people should will must want it but i think when it comes to the environment that we work in you really just can't rely on that because that that's fundamentally not true if anything it's probably the opposite most people are like i'm busy i have limited resources limited time if you're going to ask me to, to do something, which we are doing, we're asking for a behavior change, you're going to have to reward me in some way. And I think for us, that's been that's been something which we from the beginning have always set out to do. We didn't want it to be like a um, a compromise that people were necessarily making, but it, it would, that it would feel really good. Because I think if you can get somebody to engage and enjoy what they're doing, they're good, the behavior will, will um, lock in, right? It'll, it'll happen intuitively. If it's painful and you're not enjoying it, yeah, that's that's a different story. Most people just won't go back to it. It's like, you know, go to the gym or whatever. If you don't enjoy it, you're not going back. Or eating healthy food, right? If it doesn't taste great, you're just like, okay, I'll do it for a week, but then it's gone. So we really tried with with Neat to to kind of build in a lot of, I guess, joy into the product. You know, we've got a reusable bottle. 
And I thought to myself, as a designer, it's a bit of a dream because designing single-use things is probably like the the opposite to a designer's dream. You want something that people are going to love, care for, and keep for as long as they can. Um, and we have that with Neat. So the bottle is designed to be something that you you enjoy. It feels better. It's more quality. It lasts longer. And also it looks better in your space. It functions better. Um, so we really wanted that to feel more like, you know, your reusable coffee cup that you, you care for. And you, you think about it differently than you do the kind of single use packaging that you normally buy. And then we have the concentrates. And again, there, we knew that we had to perform. It had to be efficacious. That's like the number one need when it comes to cleaning. You know, it's like, again, like food. It's got to taste great. It's got to like feel good in your mouth. And the same for for cleaning, we knew it had to perform really well. And one of the main things that people use to, to, I guess, believe that it's working well is fragrance. So we invested a lot in in the fragrance experience so that it would be essentially as good, if not better, than what exists in the category. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of some of the challenges that we had. And again, I guess the major challenge is probably on pricing. I think that was the one that we we were probably most unclear about because we knew we put, we knew where we could benchmark a refill because you can kind of say like price per mill, you can look at existing pricing in the category. But when it came to our starter pack or the initial investment in the bottle, that was more of a challenge. We were like, how do we position this? Because you could, you could go all, you know, essentially give it away for free, you know, like try and just recruit people into that. It could be like, like people do online, you know, your first order is free or whatever, we thought we could go down that road and make it like as cheap as possible. And even at that point, as long as you essentially break even, then you could be like, you know what, that's that's fine. People are recruited. But we, we knew intuitively if you make it that, if it lacks such value or nobody needs to invest in it, it's going to be treated like it has no worth. So we believed it was important for us to put value on it that was reasonable so people felt like I'm buying something here and I need to treat it differently. A bit of a psychological change for consumers just to think, I don't throw this away. Um, and mainly because I've invested in it and therefore I have to think about it differently. So again, we, we put we put various um, prices into the market and we were kind of just editing as we went. We kind of started where we thought was the maximum we could go because we thought, well, any higher would be a bit ridiculous. And then we decided just to try and test that and move it down and through, I guess, different promotion mechanisms that we were able to try with retailers um, and also on our own website, we were able to then get to a point where we felt this feels like the right, the right place where we can, we can scale this. It works for us as a business, but also then it's, it's kind of that point where consumers are like, this is a, a reasonable um, price point for something in, in this category. And then on the refills, that's where we've got really competitive. We try to be as we try to be on par with kind of other premium brands in our space, if not even cheaper at some point. That would have been our ultimate goal, but you know, needs must when it comes to scaling a business. Yeah. Onto the future. That's fascinating, Ryan. Thank you. Thank you for that. It's so interesting what you say, isn't it? Because I think so many brands make the mistake of assuming that because you have a sustainable proposition that people are going to flock to it. 
um, regardless of the quality. And, and even, you know, they, they charge premium prices for that. But I guess what I'm hearing is that, you know, people aren't prepared to make uh, any compromise that sustainability needs to be integrated into the proposition. Uh, and it needs to be at least on par, if not overperforming, um, versus the, the category drivers, um, which is our experience. And, and it's, it's super, super interesting to, and from a pricing perspective, making it accessible. So it, it sounds like there is a premium component to it, but actually, you know, what you're trying to drive is, is a mainstream accessibility for the brand. Right. I think that's the, the kind of two parts to it. I think it's that initial, um, the, the, this is what's new about what we're doing, I guess, is this movement of, I don't know, I don't know how to, how to phrase this, I'm trying to think of a good way to say it, but like it is kind of like slow-moving consumer goods in a way, in a fast-moving consumer goods environment, and how do we make that work? I think with, with NEAT, we've got, a, we've got a solution that can sit on a supermarket shelf, it can run through existing, you know, um, supply chain, logistics, operations of those of those businesses, which allows you to access just so many consumers. And if you look at just problem solving scale, I think it's a really exciting opportunity if we think about it correctly. And I think it does require then businesses, startups, I don't know how anybody would start a business these days without sustainability being top of mind. For me, it's just a, should be a given, should almost be legally required. <laughs> but um yeah, you know, like starting there, because that's going to be problems we have to solve generally just across the board. And there's so many opportunities within um, every category to do that. Um, yeah, but I think for us, it was really about starting with that sustainability piece of mind and then figuring how we make that work in in the existing systems and not necessarily trying to reinvent the wheel and taking the responsibility as a business and a brand on us. I think too often we try and push that responsibility to consumers like well they're not telling us or you know they're not willing to pay more or they're not they're not this they're not that they won't they're not willing to change their behavior i think that's a bit of a cop-out i think businesses and brands and I, again especially in the startup space i think we can solve for those problems in a way that you know consumers shouldn't have to it should be the responsibility should be on us and or the retailer to to bring those solutions i think we wait for the government it might take a little long um that's been proven. So uh, better that we just get busy solving some of those problems ourselves. So can you talk to us a bit about how you've inspired um, consumers to, to make that change? You've talked, you know, um, in and out about behavior change. It'd be great to just hear a bit more about that, Ryan. Yeah, I, th I think the having done many, um, you know, consumer uh, workshops in my day, the number one thing that everybody said is just it's all about their time. You know, you're asking people to to use their time in a certain way. And if you listen to any busy household, any busy individual, um, time is of the essence. So I think you've really got to think about if somebody's going to make this shift, you really have to remove as many like um, barriers to entry, as many pain points as you can. That's why with, with um, our solution, even, you know, we, we looked at a bunch of options and there's other companies out there doing similar things to us, but a different way. We've gone with like a liquid um, concentrate and a little glass bottle. The main reason we did that was that it provides an instant um, refill. You don't have to wait for anything to dissolve. You don't need to think about warm water and then kind of like the, the lag time. It was this thought of like, if you're in the middle of cleaning your bathroom, and you run out of bathroom cleaner, and now it's like, oh, I've got to go make some more. If you have to wait half an hour even for that product to be ready, that is a step too far. 
that was that was our conclusion. Most people would just be like, oh, I'd set aside half an hour to clean this bathroom, and not like well, what am I gonna do now? I gotta wait for my bloody bathroom cleaner to to dissolve. I just think that would be that would be a pain point. You know, you're giving people like then it's a frustration rather than a oh that's rewarding. So we went with a liquid concentrate for that reason. We thought let's make this as easy as possible for people. If you're gonna ask for this level of behavior change, you really have to think about it through the lens of like, if people are doing this on a day-to-day basis, what would be the easiest way for them to adopt this behavior? So yeah, that was that was one, definitely making it as, as simple as possible. And then also, you know, giving people great products that would work well. I mean, often the, the perception is that sustainable or green cleaning products, I don't like the word green, but you know, sustainable plant-based cleaning products um, won't perform as well and that that is not true so we really wanted to try and you know build something that looked like it would perform and, and then would perform and a lot of those um, pieces that make people or convince people that something's working is in whether it foams whether it's you know when they're spraying it does it feel like the spray is doing a good job does it cover a lot of area um, as well as obviously doing the work in terms of lifting dirt and grime and things, but also then the fragrance experience. So just really removing as many barriers to people rejecting the concept. But I think the main thing was around the the convenience. It just had to be an instant solution because people, people have talked about, you know, some sort of like screw on little canister thing and, you know, something that you could, I don't know, some espresso pod style system for, I was like, oh my God, it's just, you're overcomplicating something that doesn't need to be that complicated. And we thought, let's just make it as simple as we can when it comes to the the core um, product solution and then just delight where you can. Like, I think that's where design comes in often or product experience. You get to delight with the fragrance, you know, the look of the bottle. We've got a silicon base in our bottle, which is there to both protect the bottle but also it's, we've got aluminum bottles, which if you put it on a surface can feel really uncomfortable. It's like scratchy metal on like a granite or marble surface. It doesn't feel great ever. Um, so we put it on there for those two reasons. It protects the bottle if you drop it, a bit of extra protection, but then also it gives you this really nice experience when you're putting it down. And it's so funny, like it's one of the things that so many consumers come back to us and say, I just love that. They just find it as such a little delightful moment and it gives them a little bit of joy and it's, it's better than what they've got, right? You don't have that on most cleaning products is this level of like, um, I don't know, product experience. It almost feels like a, a homeware item rather than a, you know, another plastic bottle. Um, so, yeah, hopefully that answered your question. Yeah, it does. Like, I mean, the way we frame that from a behavioral science perspective is we talk about three things in terms of the, the experience. We talk about making it easy, making it meaningful and making it rewarding. I think very much yeah. plays into what you what totally. you describe. So you you must have had businesses and brands while you and and, and your co-founder have been on this journey and that you've taken inspiration from. Uh, could you share any of those with us? Yeah, I think um, a couple that I've looked to, and I don't often look to FMCG or or you know our industry in terms of consumer goods. I tend to look more towards other lifestyle categories for inspiration. So. I find skincare really interesting just because it's high engagement. People care a lot about it in a way. I guess they do with food at some level, but when it comes to like beauty, it's such a high engagement category. So I often look there to see like what's working there. What are, what are, 
What are the trends? How are products showing up? How are people, how are they talking? How are they behaving? What is that shift? I, I always loved the skincare brand, The Ordinary, which basically stripped out all of the like heavy, you know, blah, 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 marketing stuff that, that had happened for years in that category. And they just said, here's the, here's the ingredients. It's all just really simplified and, and pared down. It's, and they find that, again, that amazing like accessibility point of, of delivering something that they'd, they'd made cheaper or made more um, accessible but they still kept the value in it. Like it still feels like a very premium, well-executed brand. I thought that's just, for me, that was, I've always been an inspiration because I think they've done such amazing things and he was absolutely a visionary. Um, and then I guess also looking at the likes of Chili Water Bottles, who I think have done amazing things in in an amazing way. Obviously, I've been background in drinkware before <laughs> before this, but um, I was always like, wow, they took they took that bottle, which has existed for years and they've managed to make it into a massive household brand. Like everybody now says it's a chili bottle, um, which is phenomenal. And I think they've done that through really good, consistent um, communication. And, and again, so this is, this is one thing that maybe I didn't say in the previous question that we did about behavior change. I think we've always said that we want to be a positive voice as a brand. I think there's a lot of brands again in sustainability who who want to? You just constantly promote the the problem, which is which is great. Obviously, we know the problem. I think for us, we thought that can be that can be really heavy. You know, it can be really um, hard to stomach every day. Just pictures of burning forests or birds on a beach or plastic on the beach. Like it's it gets it gets um, overwhelming to the point of just almost people tend to shut down. Right, you can't really process it. It's not motivating anymore. It's actually just depressing or making me feel bad. Um, and then you think like, how can I solve for for the bird on the beach? I don't feel like that feels too far away. So we've always said like we want to be we want to be positive in our approach to it, and not lecture, not um, guilt trip, but rather inspire people to make this change. And I think by by bringing a solution, let's focus on that. It's like you can you can make this change today, and it's going to mean this. You've done something. You can feel good about that. Um, let's celebrate that rather than focusing on all the things that we haven't done yet. So I think similarly with with Chile, they're just very focused on their products being a joy to use. They're great. They function brilliantly, and you know you're not going to complain about that. And then it's just it's it's, it's a great uh, it's a great brand. They've done a great job in building a community. And I don't know if I've ever seen heavy sustainability comes from them. Actually, now that I think about it, it's always just reuse your water bottle. Like this is a bottle designed to do that. So focus on on that and making that as making that behavior the the solution rather than talking constantly about the problem. Um, I also love all birds. I think they're amazing. I mean, they just do amazing things. And if anything, I think they're a good example of a company that focuses a little bit like we do with Neat is like really focus on the product, like make sure the product is really, really good. And I guess that's, again, <laughs> what happens when you have an industrial designer as a founder, but we obsess over the product and it being good. And I love how they obsess over that. And, and good doesn't just mean it's a nice looking shoe and it feels nice to wear. There's, there's layers to that good. And I think that's brilliant. But again, those layers aren't always like, most people aren't buying it for the carbon footprint reduction. Most people are buying it because they look great, they feel great, they last long, and it's a really well done product. So I think 
yeah, that's another brand that I often look at and just think, well, I've done a great job in creating like an amazing brand. And I think like the, the brand piece is really important. We spent a lot of time at the beginning thinking some of our first activities were workshops around the brand position. And it was almost like therapy for us as a, as a team of founders being like, what is it we want to do here? Like what's going to be, this is a bit like, it's like a legacy you're kind of creating, right? You're starting something and what's going to be the legacy of that. So we did a lot of upfront thinking, even down to the name, like we wanted the name to be, to be meaningful. That's how we settled on neat, which we knew was going to be a, a challenging IP issue, but uh, luckily we managed to figure that out. But um, yeah, this idea of it being, you know, our, our products are neat in terms of creating neat homes. They look great. Like it's a neat space but also then they're concentrated. So they, it's neat. Like you would say, you order your whiskey neat. It's no water in it. It's not diluted. It's, it's just the thing. Um, and then the idea of it being a smart or neat idea, you know, the fact that a lot of people are like, oh, I didn't realize that most cleaning products are 90% water. Why haven't we been doing this the whole time? Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of power these days in, in really good branding and storytelling. And we've tried to spend a fair bit of time in trying to get that right. So Ryan, what's next for Neat? And what would you leave the uh, listeners with in terms of the top tips and key learnings if they're looking to start a, let's say, born good brand? Yeah, good question. Um, One thing that we've achieved this year was we qualified as a B Corp, which has been a massive um, achievement for us. That was top of our list. Having worked um, at B Corps in the past, we knew that was something we wanted to do from the beginning. So after a lot of hard work, managed to achieve that this year, which was awesome. So now the, the, the work will be to try and maintain that and also then use the, the kind of um, system of B Corp or the architecture there to start to inform our, our plans going forward um, on people, planet and profit. So that's awesome. Um, I think also looking at how we can improve what we do. I mean, with, with scale, things do become um, available that aren't at the beginning. I always wanted to have a recycled aluminium bottle for our spray bottles. We just couldn't justify it when we were ordering MOQs and trying to, you know, trying to make that work across our entire company at that point. Um, whereas now with skill, we've been able to access a supplier who, who can give us 100% recycled aluminium. So that's going into market, um, I think from March. Um, we're redesigning all of our packaging which will be launching also in March. Again, taking a lot of learning from the last year and a half, two years of what works and what doesn't work on shelf and key messaging and how we can disrupt um, in the category. So we're really excited about that. It's looking fantastic. And kind of like, why did it take me two years to, to figure this out? But, you know, you live and you learn. So I guess that's one bit of advice was would be, go for progress rather than perfection. I think a lot of people will try and get everything right from the beginning. And even though I thought I was getting it right, looking back now, I'm like, oh, okay, I really wasn't, but I was arrogant enough to think I was, <laughs> but at least we were moving, you know, you're, you're getting stuff out there. You get to test it. You get to have conversations with your consumer. You get to, you, you get feedback, um, you know, and in, in the world that we live in today, you can be getting reviews every day and you'll know very quickly what's working and what isn't working. So you can test things in the market these days in a way that you don't need to consumer test, you know, like the idea of consumer testing the way we used to do it, or like it, that's a bit of a, I don't know, it seems seems a bit unnecessary these days when you can put something out there or even just 
put it on an Instagram story and ask people what they think and you can get like a immediate feedback on that. Um, so that's, that's awesome. I would say just if you're thinking about it, get something together and go. I know people say minimum viable product. Um, I'm not sure we should ever be aiming for a minimum viable product, but um, something that's, that's good enough to get you out the door or as good as you can get it at that point and then go and plan to improve on it. Um, I would also say anybody starting, I don't know about um, others, but the, the joy of having a co-founder for me has been amazing. Um, Josie brings a skill set to it that I don't have. And equally, I bring a different perspective to her. And I think those complementary skill sets have made it, A, less of a lonely journey. You've got a sparring partner. And B, um, you're, getting, you're getting two things done at the same time. You know, you're both inputting um, her from a commercial sales point of view, me from a product brand point of view. I think when you have those two pieces kind of pushing against each other, you're able to come up with something that's going to be really, really um, impactful and and better than doing it on your own. Um, and then what do we have next? I think we have a lot of plans for innovation. Our, our, our plan is really to look at where there are where the most waste is and then solving for it, which is which is a challenging one. And we're really about driving the behavior of reuse again. That kind of focuses our mind because, you know, a lot an obvious solution would be let's go and do a bar soap because that's plastic free and that's a solution to, to body care or just do a bar do a bar of everything essentially <laughs> is, is what most people tend to go for. But we're like yeah, but you're not you're not driving this. You're not inspiring people to think things should be done differently. You know, there's there's people who buy bar soap already, but what you need to solve for is the people that buy, you know, the 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 bottle of of gel or the 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 bottle of shampoo. You know, that is a very different behavior, and I think a bar is such a stretch in terms of the the experience that it's not really comparable, and it could be a little bit of a cop out for us. So we, we were definitely creating a bit of a rod for our own back there in a way, but it's going to force us to be innovative and think differently, which which we love to do. But yeah, we definitely have plans to look at various other categories. We've launched our hand wash, which is going incredibly well. Um, we're excited to see that launching into some uh, retailers soon, which is going to be very exciting. Um, so we And we're also in, in the process of fundraising at the moment for that next push um, as a business. again exciting times but and who knows we're looking at like other markets that we could look at but we have a lot of opportunities still in the uk there's plenty of work to be done to scale the brand here and i think with the team that we now have the product offering that we're we've just built or are building um i think we'll be in a really good place this year to see some um impactful numbers so that's the focus at the moment um but yeah who knows the sky's the limit right well, Ryan, brilliant conversation. Thank, thanks so much for being with us today. Um, congratulations on the journey today. It's an amazing story, and thank you for sharing it. And uh, best of luck for what's next, and those brands have better watch out. Thank you very much. <laughs> You've been listening to Sustainable Futures, a podcast from Kantar. For all episodes and more information, visit kantar.com. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a rating and a review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode.